950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. For the last few months, courtesy of our good friend Todd Kolid, who has been sponsoring AM950, we have talked about Lifeline Ukraine, this uh, organization over in Ukraine offering mental health and suicide prevention services for the people of Ukraine right now. And once again, as we talk about all the time, this is something that it's it, as as much uh, you know pain as that country has gone through, stuff like this. I mean, a lot of people offer military aid, offer food aid, medical aid, but it's these 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 counselors which are under in high demand and under a lot of stress because there's a lot of people that need this help understandably as the Russians have invaded their country. Uh, Paul Nyland is the founder of Lifeline Ukraine. He is kind enough today to join us from Kiev as uh, he's uh, let's talk a little bit about Lifeline Ukraine and what is going on in Ukraine right now. Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Matt, thank you very much for inviting me on the show and thank you also for the attention that you've given uh, both to lifeline ukraine and to the the situation in ukraine as well over the over the 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 course the period of this terrible phase in russia's war against us i'm i'm very grateful to you for uh for bringing attention to what's happening here the people of that country are brilliant and i can't tell you how inspired i was you know, everyone saying, oh, this is going to be over quick, over quick. And, you know, the last thing the Russians anticipated was an amazing fight back from the Ukrainians. And frankly, you know, what the Ukrainians have done is exposed how poorly run the Russian military is. And we'll get to that. We'll get to what's going on there in regard to this. I want to start off with your story, though, a little bit, because you're originally from Ireland, uh, but you've been, it sounds like you've been in Ukraine for quite a while here. How did you get from Ireland over there? Well, there, there were lots of other um, stops along the way. I, I was born in Ireland. Yes, I was born in Dublin, but then I went to school in the United Kingdom. And then I've, I've lived in various uh, different countries. And, and, and 20 years ago, 20 years ago, um, some Ukrainian friends invited me to come and visit. And, and so I came and I thought maybe I might stay for six months, but, um, but I'm still here. It's, mm. it, it is as, as you just you know put it there in in your question the the ukrainian people are simply quite brilliant and and once you come here and you realize what this country is about and what these people are about you 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 get almost sucked into it you be, you you become a part of it and and i am now a, a a part of it and doing what i can through lifeline ukraine and through my work as a journalist as well you know to to highlight what what is happening in this country and and to you know spread knowledge about Ukraine and about the the, the difficulties that have been caused because of because of Russian aggression against us. You got there in the the post Soviet era, so I mean Ukraine was its own country at that point. What was I mean? Obviously, I mean it's it's a very different existence right now. But when you first got there, what was it like? I mean, was it just kind of this young, vibrant? Hey, we're free. We're this country. We're we've been getting it. We're getting our feet under it. What was it like for you to go there at that point? Um, I, I, I'll say that it, it's I, I've been to Russia a couple of times, and and I expected that Ukraine would be very, very similar. But what I found when I first came here was how very different it is. And, and again, the people, how very different they are. And, and I'll, I'll never forget my very first day, you know, wake, waking up in this new country. And, and I, I, I took a walk to explore and I, I found the most beautiful park at the top of my street with, with a view out across the Dnepro river, which cuts through the heart of the city. And, 
there's a, there's an island in the middle of the city, you know, trees, uh, uh, sandy beaches, all the rest of it. And and though it was winter time and it was cold, I, it took my breath away. I was just stunned. And then coming back down the street where my very first apartment was, I I then found myself on Maidan, which you know is a place where I've spent a lot of time subsequently, including during our revolutions. But but this this enormous great big square, independent square in the in the middle of the city, and and then. The, the the main street of Krishatik, which I was lucky enough to to live on for some time. That's quite an experience. Mm-hmm. But but finding Krishatik and seeing people, you know, it, it, it's closed or it used to be closed on weekends. It was pedestrianized and and there's music playing and people are walking along, holding hands, guys carrying their handbags for their loved ones, you know, kids mm-hmm. playing on 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 bikes and such like. I, just that very first morning, Matt, it mm-hmm. it really blew my mind what a special and interesting and vibrant place this is the you were there you you said you meant through the revolutions uh, talk a little bit about that i mean obviously it's it's we're americans and we have a bad habit of not really getting a lot of international news here i'll be blunt with you uh i i've known that this this has been going on i mean obviously especially i started paying a lot more attention to what was going on in ukraine after crimea and and what was going on with that atrocity and we'll get to that here in a second but you were there there were you know as freedom was emerging there in ukraine it went through some growing pains it looks like yeah i mean the 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 orange revolution um i i've had the privilege of meeting Viktor yushchenko once and introducing my, my my son to him in fact but the orange revolution really came about because what what Russia had intended to do through their stooge Yanukovych was to subvert democracy, to do what they do in Russia, which is to simply say that the will of the voters does not matter. We're choosing who is going to be in control, and that's that. And you know, when when we saw credible reports, multiple credible reports of ballot box stuffing, and and you know, then when it later emerged that at the Central Election Commission. Things were, you know, the, the, where things are tabulated there and, you know, the, the results were being changed electronically within the Central Election Commission as well. Like people came out on the streets and they said, no, our, our vote will be respected. And, you know, that was that was one of the key events for me in the history of this country because because it cemented Ukraine's democratic credentials. And, and it, it is something that Ukrainians stood up for to to Mm -hmm. defend and i mean it was it was a difficult period the the orange revolution it lasted for just over a month before there was a a rerun of the the flawed final um vote of the uh, of the presidential election um but but the revolution of dignity was was a a a much different kind of event whereas the orange revolution was kind of like a festival we we knew with yanukovych then being you know, have, having been actually elected as president legitimately, sadly, you know, we, we knew that we were facing an authoritarian and not just an authoritarian who was deeply corrupt, but one who was beholden to Russia and who would literally execute Putin's orders when when it was required. And so the, the, the revolution of dignity was was a, 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 a quite a different affair because of the constant um uh, not just threat of violence, but but the reality of 
the outbreak of violence or encountering violence at, at, at any moment during that period of time. And that was 93 days, right, from mm -hmm. from start to, to, to finish until Yanukovych actually fled. But, but you know, having having witnessed both of those things and stood on the square with, you know, with 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 decent and brave people, you know, it it annoys, it infuriates me to see people denigrating those events as some kind of, you know, CIA sponsored or CIA led uh, coups or or something stupid like that, which I mean, they're lines that are straight out of Russian propaganda. It was it was the agency of the, the decent people of Ukraine who bravely stood up and said, no, we're, we're not putting up with this. And and we will go through to the end and we will be successful. You know, breaking away from Russia uh, has proven to be easier for some countries than others. As you said, there still is a lot of places, I think Belarus, we can look at that, you know, that the, the, there's a lot of people there that are still far more loyal to Russia than they are to their own country. Ukraine thumbing their nose at the Russians uh, brought in first the invasion of Crimea. You, when that went on, I mean, that was just an, an, a grand injustice, which I still to this day feel as if the rest of the world failed and dropped the ball and didn't get in there at that point and basically tell Putin, no, this is not going to fly because you know, he just basically gobbled up a part of your country and just said, it's ours now. It was always ours. So what what's important to put the, the, the events of Crimea into context is is the time frame. And, and Yanukovych fled. The, the end of the Revolution of Dignity was the 22nd of February. And Russia's military operation, though it had been planned, obviously, well in advance, they, they, they had plans in the Kremlin. They took them off the shelf and said, this is what we're doing. But, but Russia's military operation, which began with the seizure of the, the autonomous parliament building in, in Crimea, that happened on the 27th of February. It was just five days after Yanukovych had, had had fled to to Russia, and yes, it, it was as, it, exactly as you describe. It was a, it was a great um, injustice and and the first land grab by military means in Europe since the Second World War. That's what it was at that time, and 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 it should have been recognised as such. But you know the 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 the, the people who are in charge of making decisions looked at it and potentially weighed some of Russia's justifications and arguments, which you've just listed there, Matt, and saying that, you know, it was always Russian and it's Russian again now. And, you know, and, and knowing that there is a large ethnic Russian population on the peninsula, you know, I think many people assumed that more or less, and in fact, Donald Trump has said this explicitly, you know, that, that the people with Crimea were relatively okay with the, with the situation. Well, uh, they're certainly not. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've also met a guy called Oleg Sensov, uh, uh, Sosnov, Sensov, excuse me, who was a film director from Crimea. He's now, in actual fact, um, fighting on the front lines in, in Ukraine. And, and his homeland is Crimea. And with a, a, a large um, voice, because he, he, he's this famous film director, when he stood up against the occupation of his homeland, he was sent to a prison in Russia, uh, and I think he served four years in in a, a you know part of the, the the gulags in in Siberia, and and I mean again I I, I said I've I've met him, but 
what what an what an amazing and inspiring figure. But that that was the fate really of anybody, either in Crimea or in the Donbass, who objected to the Russian occupation that began in 2014. And particularly, we can look at the the indigenous population of Crimea, which is you know the, the the Crimean Tatars and and how they've been persecuted and uh, arrested and you know many of them are political prisoners and serving long sentences there was there was a Crimean Tatar who was actually sentenced just a few days ago to 7 years in prison and the charge from the Russian kangaroo court was financing terrorism and what he did in actual fact the facts of the matter was he lent the equivalent of 12 US dollars to a friend of his and he's charged with financing terrorism and sent to prison for seven years. Uh, the Russians are horrible. I, I, you, speaking of which, uh, February 24th of last year, uh, where were you when Russia tried to basically take down Ukraine? Uh, I, I was at home in Kiev. Um, and uh, I, I it, it was it was terribly... I mean, we knew that it was coming. We we knew that it was coming. It was obvious that an invasion was going to happen. But honestly, I, and I, I mean, I, I'm frequently giving interviews to various different outlets and and things like that. And and I had said before the 24th of February, they're not coming after Kiev. Like I, I thought there will be a big war in the Donbass, which there is. I thought they would try to grab the land bridge to Crimea, which they did, um, soon to be broken in the counteroffensive that you alluded to earlier on. But but I, I, I thought then, and still think now, that it would just be insane of them to think that they could capture the capital, to think that they could take Kiev. Yeah, but, but they certainly did. And in the afternoon, um, I went to the the recruitment office of the Territorial Defence, and I, I tried to sign up to to get a gun and 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 go and man a, a checkpoint somewhere. And um, I, I was turned away because they were only taking people with military experience on that day, um, probably probably for the best, because I would have been in the way with, with my lack of knowledge and yeah. lack of military skills. But but yeah, I, 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 I went there and, and saw the vast number of people who were at the recruiting center, determined, angry, and and ready to do what they needed to do to fight for their country. It was, it was a, 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 a heartwarming sight seeing that bravery on display right in front of me uh right now we're talking to, talking to paul nyland paul we got to take a break uh when we come on back i want to get into the the fight uh that the russians clearly were not expecting and the ukrainians and how you know kind of kick-ass they are which is really I, I think an inspiration for a lot of people including myself on this planet and then let's talk about lifeline ukraine and the good you've been able to do with that paul nyland is joining us right now founder of lifeline ukraine we'll take a break come on back it's the matt mcneil show right here on am 950 Billboard, baby, do a leap and make them dance when it come on. Everybody looking for a dance floor to run on. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Paul Nyland is joining us. He's founder of Lifeline Ukraine. He is joining us from Ukraine today to talk about what has been going on over there and Lifeline Ukraine. Russia's, Russia attacks, um, you have a lot of, you know, and frankly, this, sadly in the United States, a lot of pro-Russian stooges, in, uh, whether it's our media or in our government, who are basically saying, well, it's over. There's no point in us getting involved. 
And funny thing happened on the way to the war. The Ukrainians basically came out and started punching back, which my experience with bullies is when you do that, they're not expecting it. Um, the Ukrainians have, if you look at this in a military strategy, have done what they have been able to do is unbelievable. They have knocked out a far more, you know, you know, equipped and armed military. They've put them on their heels. And right now it looks like they're about to go on a spring offensive that could basically turn the tide of this completely and push Russia back out of Ukraine, God willing. Talk a little bit about this, because at seeing this happen, obviously there is tremendous loss and the, the loss of soldiers and citizens, the bombing of your cities, the, the complete destruction of these occupied towns. But at the same time, to watch the Ukrainians fight back with such zeal and spirit has got to be somewhat endearing. So there's the several elements to this. And one, Matt, is that we've been fighting a war against Russia for nine years already, mm. right? So, you know, when, when the war broke out in the Donbass, we were under no illusions who it was that was, was the enemy. And so Ukraine has a, 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 a huge number of people with recent conflict experience and experience particularly, specifically, of fighting against the Russians. And so, you know, this was... When when the when the full scale invasion came, it was it, it it was a chance to now right a wrong that has been outstanding for the last nine years, and you know that's that that's one thing is the military experience that that we have here in in Ukraine that could be leveraged immediately. Many of my colleagues at Lifeline Ukraine are veterans, and on the twenty third of February, the reserve was activated, and so. You know, the, the size of Ukraine's standing army swelled from something like 300,000 to 700,000 almost overnight as everybody reported back to barracks to, to participate in, in, in fending off the, the, the full-scale uh, aggression from Russia. But, you know, it's also not a surprise as well that Ukraine has fought back uh, as well as it has, because this is an existential war. This is a fight for the existence and the future of Ukraine as a as a country. And if, if you look, for example, at the land bridge to Crimea, which is the only real strategic gain that Russia has made in this phase of the war that began last year, that land bridge means that Ukraine does not have access to export goods through the Sea of Azov, through the port of Berjansk and through the port of Mariupol. And Mariupol is, is now destroyed. And you can imagine what the effect on the economy of the country is by not having some of our major um, uh, sea export routes open to us. And, and that is a part of Russia's long-term strategy, which is to throttle Ukraine. And... You know, when we when we look at the um, the the, the, the counteroffensive that's coming up, um, and I, I saw a figure today that we we have now something like one thousand five hundred and fifty armored or infantry fighting vehicles that have come into the country. We we have now a um, from a coalition of of Ukraine's partners, we now have two hundred and sixty tanks that have also come into the country as well. And you know, Russia's armed forces are. Yes, they are dug in in the areas that they're occupying, but they're also beleaguered. They are without leadership. They lack not only morale, but they lack a strategy. Like Ukraine's strategy is simple. U Ukraine's strategy is we will break the land bridge to Crimea, therefore 
terminating the only strategic gain that you'd got from this. And Russia's strategy is simply to try to hold on, which they won't be able to do with the immense force that is coming down on them. And it, it is going to be, I believe, something absolutely historic to witness, but it's also going to be something that, that is going to play on psychologically on the Russian soldiers and their military chain of command as well, who are simply going to be asking themselves, what was all this for, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this this weekend, we're, we're going to cross a threshold, either Saturday or Sunday, of 190,000 dead Russian soldiers in this phase of the war. And, and with nothing strategic to show for it, Putin's generals are going to be saying to him, why did we embark on this crazy endeavor? And with that, hopefully, we move towards a resolution of them withdrawing from the rest of this country and Ukraine restoring its 1991 borders. I also have to commend the the Ukrainian military. I'm a veteran myself. I've been watching what you guys have been doing over there. It is a freaking textbook on how a somewhat lesser supplied, less strong force can take down what is supposedly a much bigger force. And what, one of the things we didn't know about the Russians was the the, the, the corruption within the ranks and the military supply chain and the, the people basically putting all the money in their pocket and not leaving anything for the troops. The, we didn't understand that, but at the same time, it's it really is remarkable to, to watch how the Ukrainians have created, basically, a, a new style of of fighting, which is, is is brilliant in the sense being is it shows you that a, a, a smaller force can control and dominate a bigger force if they basically have a strategy that's correct. And they have I, I have just been so impressed. I mean, every night I watch at least an hour worth of, of military videos and saying, yeah, how are these guys? How are the Ukrainians so good at this and the Russians so bad at this? And it really is amazing. So, well, the first thing that I have to say is is my respect to you, Matt, for your, your military service. Thank you, sir. Um, and and when you when you say you know Ukrainians have written a textbook, they've actually written a couple of different textbooks because if you look, for example, at the strategy that was used to to the, to route the Russian forces out of Kharkiv, mm. and and they they moved very very rapidly through that territory, retaking thousands of square kilometers over a matter of like five days. Um, versus the strategy to get the Russians to drive the Russians out of the city of Kherson, which was which was a long play, which was which was a, a constant um, reminder to them. It, it, it cut off their ability to resupply themselves both with 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 troop reinforcements and with ammunition and, and left them you know through this long play with simply no choice but to retreat from the city of Kherson in in the south and and with that the wonderful images that we saw of the the, the liberated locals welcoming the Ukrainian forces back into their mm-hmm. city after they've been after they've been occupied for 10 months but I, I mean what what is coming now the, the combined arms offensive that will be used to to liberate places like Berjansk that I mentioned and, and Melitopol, which therefore knocks a hole in the the land bridge. That will be yet another. It, it remains to be seen, but I believe it will be yet another military um, endeavor about which textbooks are going to be written as well, because. 
because the Ukrainians, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what your policy on swearing is, but <laughs> the Ukrainians are not acting around, man. They, 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 they are, are determined to expel every single Russian occupying and invading soldier from all of their land, and and they will they will absolutely do it. And and the the Russians are going to see bearing down on them. You know, again, one thousand five hundred and fifty armored and infantry fighting vehicles. Right. Uh, when when you've got a column of that stuff heading towards you at speed, if you're a soldier that's supposed to be defending a trench, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know, it, it it's going to be something. Russians are getting what they deserve, frankly. And considering the atrocities that they've committed, they're getting off easy, if you ask me. I hope you guys kick their butts all the way back to Russia and put up your flag and basically own that for, the, for, for eternity because that will be, that'll be one they'll be talking about in thousands of years. Uh, let's, let's, you know, on, on that hopeful note, let's turn to what you engaged in here, Lifeline Ukraine. How, when did you start Lifeline Ukraine? So I, I was asked to take on the responsibility to create this, and, and specifically our first um, uh, mission was to provide a support service for military veterans who've been fighting in the Donbass since 2014. As, as you know, as many Americans are aware, when, when you've sent troops to theaters of war, you need to, you need to look after them when they return. And we, we had, um, at the time, a, a minister of, of health uh, herself an American Ukrainian, in fact, um, who who simply she 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 never minced her words. She she never wasted words. She she copied me on an email one day and she said, "Bring Paul Nyland into the next meeting on this." And so so I I went to the ministry to you know have my first meeting about what became Lifeline Ukraine and. And and I was I was given a, a set of recommendations from international experts about uh, on what we had to do and why it was necessary and what was the right kind of procedure, and that set of recommendations at that point was twelve months old, and I I, I looked around and you know I'm sitting in this meeting room with half a dozen people and you know I I, I just I looked at the date on the on the front cover of the report and I said why has this not happened, and I I, I had a meeting. A couple of days later, with with an expert in suicide prevention, um, and and he simply said to me, he said somebody needed to take responsibility for this, and nobody has, and and so I I, I said that I would do it, you know, uh, be, because well, for many reasons, one because of the respect that I have for our armed forces and and for what they've been doing, and I've written many 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 articles about you know the the entire situation, how the war unfolded, and everything else. Um, but but also having been here for such a long time, and because Ukraine is such an important part of my life, and 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 I've you know been welcomed into this not just the the the, the country but the community. This is this was my opportunity to 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 do something to repay the the, the nation that's been so kind and gracious and, and and generous to me and and actually just today when i was in my office i asked my project coordinator to give me the total figure since the day that we started and we opened in actual fact on on defenders day it's a national holiday in ukraine the 14th of october we opened on the 14th of october of 2019 and to this date today we have now provided 53,569 instances of support 
53,569 times we've either picked up the phone or, or answered a chat message from someone who is struggling with a, a, a moment of emotional crisis. And I'm incredibly proud, not just of that, um, it, it, it's not a statistic. It's, it's, it, it shows the necessity for Lifeline Ukraine in the country. But, but I'm incredibly proud of my team of colleagues who are the ones that are doing this work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, day in and day out. They are, I, I'm a guy who organized the thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, and I can, I can go on to shows like yours and I can talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's them. It, it's them who are doing the, the really, really tough job of helping people in their bleakest moments. And I, I love the fact that I'm with them and around them and, 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 and that I managed to bring together this, this, this great team of people who do such important work. You started helping out the Ukrainian armed forces, their families. And I love this line, but we are not going to ask any caller about their eligibility if they need service. You, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, the crisis that you're going through. I can't even comprehend the horrors that some people are dealing with. I, I, I was military myself. I mean, I, I knew people who had been in combat zones and stuff like that, and that stays with you. And it, mental health services are so important, but I mean, the entire country needing it, and you guys are stepping up. How many calls per day, texts per day, is Lifeline Ukraine on average getting nowadays? So before the 24th of February, we were, we were stable at around about 1,000 calls or, or chats per month. Yeah. And now, um, for the last few months, we've been stable at around 3,000 um, instances of support that we provide per month. So it's a, it's a threefold increase in the, the, the demand for our support. But, but the other element to that as well is, is that when, when we emerged from the Battle of Kiev, and victorious, obviously, having ejected the Russians from the north of our city and, and, and region and the north of the country, you know, we, we, we began then to understand what the horrors of Russian occupation looked like. And so I, I began then to look at Lifeline Ukraine and, and how we needed to react to the current necessities of the country, more like as a, a disaster management perspective. And and I started uh, creating a, a, a course of, of training seminars for the team to address each of the individual issues that, that people are facing as a result of, of Russia's aggression. One of the um, training sessions that we, that we commissioned was um, helping people who've been displaced by war. Um, we we also uh, asked a specialist, one of the leading child child psychologists in the UK, to work with our team on understanding the issues that that younger people are particularly presented with. And one of the most horrendous aspects of what the Russians have been doing everywhere they've occupied, and you know, it, it, it's something that's talked about in in newspaper articles and 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 studies. But it is the the the, the sexual violence that they are subjecting people to. And, and we, we commissioned an expert in that field to work with our team as well, because we're, we're facing people, we're, we're having to provide support to people who have been through those horrors. So, I mean, yeah, from, from the one perspective, it's, it's the surge in the demand for support from Lifeline Ukraine. From the other perspective, it was, it was my, um, uh, you know, decision to 
to retool um, the, the 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 knowledge, provide the knowledge that that my colleagues needed to you know be able to address the these particular issues that the full scale invasion has 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 wrought on the country. Paul, your whole team there are angels, just absolute angels. I mean, it, you're, you're getting, you know, a hundred calls per day, and I mean, you're, and you're there, and you're dealing, and you're, and you're providing a service, which, like I said at the beginning of this interview, it's you know, a lot of people get military aid out there. That's great. A lot of people get medical aid out there. That's great. A lot of people get food aid and and basic necessities. That's great. But it's these mental health services. My goodness, if I, if I can help you guys out at all, I want to do so. I want to drive everyone to lifelineukraine.com and go there and uh, you can make a donation. Now, by the way, if it, if it does come up in Russian or in the, the, the Ukrainian language, the Russian language, you just go up to the far right, it says, and you can click onto English and it, it translates it there for you. There you go. You should be able to read it just fine. And you can see a big donate button there on the top. Uh, that helps you out there, and uh, it, it gives you the ability to to make a donation. How much, if I can ask, just how much money does it take to operate Lifeline Ukraine every month? Uh, I, yeah, I'm 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 quite happy to answer that. We're we're a registered charity, and so transparency is is one of our you know cornerstones. Our our operational costs are, are around thirty five thousand dollars a month at present, um, and. Interestingly, I, I was looking at a, another suicide prevention hotline. Somebody had sent me their annual report, um, and they actually work with with volunteers. They 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 have a volunteer staff across the country who work out of call centers, and and their cost per individual instance of support was seventy dollars each time they help a a, a person. Right, mm-hmm. ours is seven. Wow. I would be seven. It's ten times less with a paid professional staff, not with volunteers, with a paid professional staff. And so, yeah, I mean, thank you very much for for mentioning the donate button. There's 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 two really simple options. Everybody knows PayPal. PayPal, um, you know, the the, the PayPal uh, address is simply donations at lifelineukraine.com. But one one thing that we're really focusing right now is is Patreon, and Patreon is a platform where people can make a a, a, a a, a monthly donation it's 25 bucks a month it's 50 bucks a month and you know together it it all adds up and and so that's something that we're focusing very heavily on right now is 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 adding regular donations to the the patron account and uh i'm grateful to you for mentioning it to your listeners recurring donations and patreon of course very popular here in the united states as well so very a lot of people out there knowing listening right now know they can go out there making a monthly donation and help out and once again lifelineukraine.com if it comes up in in the ukrainian basically once again go to the upper right uh go hit language hit english you'll see it and then you can navigate there and then of course read about Paul, his entire crew there, all the great work that they're doing, and and help out, donate if you can, because this is this is services they need, and you know it's and obviously there is there is a high demand, so please help out Lifeline Ukraine if you can. Paul, um, all my best, all my best to you, all my best to all your friends, your coworkers over at Lifeline Ukraine, everyone in Ukraine. I am so inspired by you. I am so appalled by what the Russians have done here. And I just hope you kick their ass really bad here in the next few months. I really am hoping for that. I, I appreciate the time today. And I thank you very much for inviting me on the show. And uh, I've enjoyed having this conversation with you. And uh, 
let's let's chat again when uh, the counteroffensive is underway and the the asses of the Russians are indeed being kicked as you have just demanded. <laughs> well, you know, it's Americans we demand things, but it would be nice to see this. They sure kind of deserve it. Paul Nyland, once again, the founder of Lifeline Ukraine. Uh, it's just an absolute pleasure. I will have you back. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.